Um, thank you for joining us today. We have two good kings with one hiccup, a hiccup that ends in leprosy uh, today in the middle of all this, and some questions to ask about them as well, but some interesting features with Uzziah and Jotham, and we get into the period now where, uh, although there are some questions about chronology because mostly because of Uzziah and how does he overlap with his father and with his son. Um, we are, however, now into the part of the Old Testament where you will begin to recognize things from the prophets. So, for example, uh, uh, you'll have Isaiah say, in the year King Uzziah died, and things like that. So now... Now we're into a little bit more familiar territory because the writing prophets now will cover uh, all the rest of these kings to the end of the book we'll, 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 and even beyond um, because of the exile and so forth. But we're in just in a little bit more solid ground for many of us because that the period between Solomon and Uzziah where the only prophets we kind of know about are Elijah and Elisha, but they don't have books of the Bible, just about them and so forth. It, it's, it, it can be a little bit confusing. But we'll, uh, we'll just begin here with Second Chronicles 26. All the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. Remember the last three monarchs were murdered? Uh, or one was executed, but they were, they were killed. Um, and uh, kind of a question here is, um, who made Uzziah king? All the people of Judah. When you get the people making a king, it usually signifies a problem of some kind. In this case, what might the problem have been? I think the only problem was he was just 16. So... Uh, uh, the people agreed he should be the king, even though he's still a kid. Um, and so this 16-year-old boy becomes king. My son Eric is 16. And I think before he would be named king of the country, I'd want the country to say, oh, I'm okay with that. You know, because you know. I still have to tell him when to go to bed at night. So, so if, you're, if you guys are okay with this, okay. But uh, made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. Um, he was the one who built Elat and restored it to Judah after King Amaziah rested with his fathers. So in, let's, let's look at the grammar of that sentence. He built Elat and restored it to Judah after dad died. What does that tell you about maybe when he built Elat? I, I wonder about that. Although he was only 16 when he was king. But could he have been the prince who went down there when he was, I'm just going to say 14. And so he's, dad sends him down to, to and the thing about this is that Elat is here. Uh, it's next to Ezi and Geber. Remember a couple kings ago we had, a, uh, it was Jehoshaphat, we had this uh, shipwreck of all of the king's ships down at Ezi and Geber because they were trying to build a, sh a fleet of ships for Tarshish and they did it for some reason on the Red Sea rather than on the, on the Mediterranean Sea and, and all of that. Well, Elad is right there next to Ezi and Geber 
He built up this city down there, restoring Judah down there. But then at the end of the previous king's reign, we had this war with Edom. And that's in between Judah and Ezion, and Geber, and Elat. Um, so, or is it simply this? If I go back uh, to that slide, um, verse 2, he built Elat and restored it to Judah could also mean that Elat was already there earlier from, from a long time ago. And simply after dad dies, he goes down there and rebuilds that city that had once been around that maybe got captured by the Edomites. But the Edomite war is, is now resolved. And uh, um, so we have, uh, we have now uh, things in between Edom and, uh, or rather in between Judah and its southern possessions that are now kind of fixed because of the end of that Edomite war. Okay, one more time. Uzziah was 16 years old. We're going to be told this three times. When he became king and he ruled in Jerusalem for 52 years. His mother's name was uh, Jechaliah from Jerusalem. So uh, those 52 years is 792 to 740 BC or something close to that. Um, as I said, there are different ways of reckoning this because how long did he, does his reign overlap with his father? And how long does his reign overlap actually with his son? I have talked about this book before. This is The Mysterious Numbers of the Hebrew Kings by Edmund Teeley, um, or Edwin Teeley, who uh, was writing this book about 100 years ago in the 19-teens and 20s. And uh, we're almost in 2022 now in our calendar. And if I go to uh, the dates of the kings of Israel, um, uh, uh, Uzziah reigns uh, with his father from 792 to about 767, which is when Amaziah dies. So he's around for, for there's an overlap there. And that's quite a few years um, most of his life. He was the heir apparent and sort of walking around with dad, getting to know all of this stuff. Um, or is he 16 when he starts? Well, I'm sorry, he was heir apparent from 16. And now when dad dies, he's no longer 16, but he's, it's, he's maybe in his 20s or actually maybe closer to 30. Um, and then from 767... Uh, to 740, he's, he's reigning without dad. But around 750, so the last 10 years of his life, his son Jotham is on the throne. So he's only on the throne by himself for about 16 years of that long, long 52-year reign. Um, uh, so that seems to be what we have. Do you see why this is kind of confusing? It, uh, other things add to the confusion, like in, in Israel, what's a year? Meaning when does it start and when does it end? Do you know in general when the years started in Israel? It's Passover. Passover. So yeah, exactly. In fact, Passover is the 14th of Nisan. Nisan 1, uh, which is in, in our reckoning, sometime around uh, the last week of March, the first week of April, in there, that's when the beginning of Nisan is, um, or, or even a week before that. The earliest date for Easter is March in the 20s. Is it about March 25th or so? 
The Easter can fall that early. I know that because my birthday sometimes is Easter. Um, and that's the 26th. And then we go for about a month after that where it can be late in April um, as well. But that's the, that's the year change for the Israelites is there. And that religious year all hinges around when they left Egypt. So that the, the first of Nisan is uh, 15th of Nisan rather is when they left Egypt or the 14th. That's Passover and that's the departure. So God said this will be your first year. Now that's the religious year. Six months later, which is along about Tishri, I think it would be, what would that be, about September or so, is the secular year began. And once in a while, Israel and Judah would, would, would switch to starting their years in the secular year. So there's this whole business of what's your year. And then remember we talked before about do you use the year of, the, the year of accession or not? Depend, you know, do you start it a year later when it's your first full year? Or do you count a part of a year as a, as a year on the throne and so forth? So there's um, a guy like this basically earns his doctorate by doing nothing else but looking at that. Um, aided in some cases by things like solar eclipses and the Babylonian calendar and the Assyrian calendar. And the, the great thing about the Assyrian calendar is they had something called an eponym list. And so in Assyria, if you had, did something really remarkable in a given year, they named the year after you. And that's how, they didn't have numbers for years. But unlike the Romans and others, where it's just however long it was, the Assyrians actually gave all of their years names. So you always knew what year that was because eight 91 BC in our calendar, the Assyrians called Urtazarme. And that year was the, it was the name of a guy who did something wonderful that year, probably won a battle or something. That was their, their great king, you know. So what was the year of the, of the um, desert storm? Around 92, 91 was desert shield, 92 was desert storm. So we might have called 1992 Schwarzkopf. You know, why? Because Norman Schwarzkopf was our commanding general during Desert Storm, you know. So that, that and, and we would call 1969 Armstrong or something like that, right? You know, you named the year after a guy, after, after something remarkable that happened. Um, and, uh, and the Assyrians did this from... 892, it's our earliest record is 892 BC where somebody named something Shar something, but the, but the brick is broken. So it's the only record we have of that year. So something Shar something, sorry, whoever you are. Um, and then it goes all the way down to 670, no, 648 when uh, Belshunu is the, and that's the fall of Assyria then. So hundreds and hundreds of years of each year named for a guy. Um, kind of a cool name of when naming your years, but, but uh, it was an interesting idea. But biblical chronology is helped by all of that too. Well, let's go on with our passage here. Uzziah, also called Azariah. Uzziah did right what was in the eyes of the Lord, like everything that his father Amaziah had done. Remember, Amaziah was good for a while. He continued to seek God throughout the days of Zechariah 
who trained him in the fear of God. I want to talk about that in a minute. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Does that sound a little bit ominous? Yeah, so God prospers him. And we're going to see how prosperous he got. Um, Also, something's missing from verse 4. In all the previous kings, even if they're a good king, they'll almost always have that little phrase, but he did not remove the high places. It's significant that that's missing from this guy's assessment. So not only does Uzziah get an A for the beginning of his reign, he almost gets an A+. It's like, wow, this, this guy, they, they thought a lot of him, and God thought a lot of him in these early days. Um, uh, this Zechariah that's in verse 5, there's a question about who is this guy. Um, because he's not called a priest... We're led to believe, because usually priests and high priests are called priest. You know, the priest so-and-so. He's not called a priest. So what is he? Is he maybe a prophet? Or is he a spiritual guide of some kind? I, I think I'm, I've got to fall to possibility C there by, by not coming down too hard on exactly what he was, some kind of a spiritual guide. But I would like to just talk about this phrase which our translation says fear of God, um, but um, Yareh and Ra'ah can look very similar in Hebrew. Another way of translating the same uh, letters, is, uh, which is Biroth uh, Elohim, is not fear of God, but visions of God or seeing God. And then we get to prophets because remember, who the prophet is, who we're kind of getting into his lifetime here now? It's, it's Isaiah with, with Uzziah. And maybe I didn't say that before. But uh, Isaiah likes to talk about seeing God and having visions of God and seeing things and light. And so that's a, that's a theme with Isaiah. And to have it show up here suggests that that was a theme maybe with this Zechariah who maybe was a professional prophet. They had the school of the prophets going um, and so forth. But this Barot uh, Elohim could be um, uh, that, that the king was trained in seeing God or in what to see with visions of God, at least what had happened in the past. Not how to do it, because God is the one who gives a vision, but like what to do. Remember Samuel, when, which we didn't cover on Sunday, the, this part of it, but remember he hears... Somebody saying, Samuel, Samuel, and Eli is like, quit waking me up, kid. And then he realizes, oh, it it might be God. So speak, Lord, for your servant is hearing. And and we go on there. The Samuel story is a wonderful, wonderful story. So remember this, though, that Uzziah, he is being trained in something by this godly man. However, you got to be careful when you train Because what's the old saying? A little knowledge can be dangerous. Yeah. So be careful. He went out and waged war against the Philistines. He broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Javne, which might be the Jamnia we read about elsewhere in the the post-New Testament era, um, and the wall of Ashdod. Um, This, by the way, this may be the last reference to Gath in the Bible. 
Later, when the writing prophets talk about Philistia, they mention the cities of, of the Philistines, and they don't mention Gath anymore. This might have been it for Gath. Um, not really sure about that, but possibly. He built cities in the territory of Ashdod and among the Philistines. So now Judah, cities of Judah are there among the Philistines. So we're, we're you know, if, if, if you guys are there, we're going to be there too. We've got to get along. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabs, who lived in Gurbaal, and against the Meonites. So you have, remember here, I'll just go through the, 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 the map here with them. So do you see Gath there? Um, really, Gath, Ekron, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza is the, um, it, it kind of goes like this. It's, I call it the candy cane or the fish hook of the Philistine cities. That's, they have some on the coast and some inland. Um, so it's Gath, <clears throat> Jamnia, or Javna in our text. But um, anybody know anything about Jamnia? Have you heard of that city before? At, in, in, the, in the days of the book of Acts, so in that time frame, the Jews, so not the Christians, which is what the book of Acts is all about, but the Jews in the post-Jesus time, they had a council in the city of Jamnia about what is what makes up the, the Old Testament canon, what books belong and what books don't. And they had a discussion in particular about one Old Testament book, Esther. But we know that that happened. Is Esther part of the scriptures or isn't it? And, um, and they, they, of course, what do they land on? Yes, it is. Um, tough one, though. There's some things about Esther that seem to kick it out, like God isn't mentioned ever in the text and, and so forth. And, uh, uh, but I, uh, the general thought is, um, if, uh, if you're a guy living in that age where men were real men, right, in, in that time, um, consider this. Who's the hero of the book of Esther? Esther. And she even manipulates the king, the king of Persia, and brings about the, the victory and so forth. So this isn't exactly a guy's book. You know, if, you're, if your hero is this woman who kind of, you know, puts down, and, and not only the king, but this Mordecai uh, is, her, is her cousin, but she's the one who does all the stuff. And of course, the wicked Haman gets hanged and, and so forth. So it's, it's sometimes thought that that's why the real underlying reason why people had a problem with Esther, and not so much whether God is mentioned or not. So anyway, uh, also Ashdod, and this is where he began building cities. So there's something, though, about Ashdod. the Because um, uh, Joppa has a, if you see it at the top of the map on the coast, Joppa has a pretty good harbor, but it might not be the best one on the coastline, and I think maybe he was shooting for a better harbor. Um, and uh, so Ashdod. And then the region around Ashkelon, the, the, he had a thing going on against the, uh, the Arabs. And remember the Meonites from a couple of weeks ago? They get mentioned here again. They, they weren't all, all done. But he's really focusing on the coastland and on the south and the southwest of Judah. That's where his focus is. Okay, the Ammonites pay tribute to Uzziah. Remember, they're across the Jordan. His reputation spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become so very strong. 
Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, the valley gate, and at the angle, and he fortified them. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the Temple Mount. This is a photograph of the modern Temple Mount, which means this has been improved in Crusader times, an improvement on Herod's temple, which is not the temple that Uzziah knew, but some of the gates are in almost the same place. So we can begin with what is probably, at that time was the corner gate on the edge of the temple area. You see the, the, the golden dome of the Dome of the Rock? That courtyard, um, and then forward all the way to the right, you see the, where the wall, beyond the trees where the wall breaks at the right side of the screen? That's the old front of the temple courtyard. And so the corner, the old corner gate is about where the arrow is there. And then the valley gate, somewhere below, maybe a little bit closer to where the Dome of the Rock is now, but that is an actual gate right there um, that's, uh, that's in the city. Then there's this other place called the Angle. And I don't know if you, with your eye, can see it here, but if I put in an arrow, can you see that there's just a slight bend in the wall there? And if I modify it and exaggerate it like this, you see it a little bit better? But there is an actual, and it's, I, it's something like less than five degrees, maybe three degrees, but the wall bends there for some reason. And I'm not sure it was uh, uh, unintentional. Like, I don't think it's a mistake. I think maybe it has to do with the bedrock and where things go and what the, what the geography is. If you, I don't have the picture. and I apologize. I looked for it. I couldn't find it. I've seen it. There's a picture taken from below by Dr. Brug where the angle actually happens. If you look up at the wall, there's a thing sticking out of the wall that looks like a cannon right at the angle. It isn't a cannon. It's a pipe or something like that. For, it's, it's like an ancient iron pipe for ventilation, but it looks exactly the, the right size and shape of a cannon barrel. But that's at this angle also. Okay, um, so just going on here. He built towers in the wilderness. He dug many cisterns because he had large herds, both in the Shephelah, those are the foothills, and on the plains beyond. So his territory is going out toward the Philistines. And he's got, he's got huge flocks. He also had farmers and vineyard workers in the highlands and in the fertile fields. Why? Because he loved the soil. So I, that's, I'm sure that's a photograph of Uzziah himself with his cowboy hat <laughs> taken in 1940. All right, so. That tower, however, is one of the towers um, on the plains, um, a guard tower. Strong base and then a little raised piece above. Their towers didn't have to be, you know, 200 feet tall, you know, a, a good 30-foot tower. What, what typically is 30 feet tall in our day and age? Two things, two-story house and a typical tree in town. Those are 30-foot tall things. If you're thinking how big is 30, that's, that's a 30-foot tall thing. And that this, this kind of a tower would be about like a two-story tower, right? And does that look right? I mean, look at the big gate, the door, first floor, right? Second floor and so forth, so... So I'm saying that's, that's the tower. There, it's not like some has fallen down. I think, that, I mean, some of the wall in front has fallen down, but I think that's the tower. Uzziah had an army 
well-trained and ready for war, organized in divisions based on the numbers from the census, taken by Giel, the secretary, and Maasiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's officials, so he has an army. I apologize. If there's going to be somebody looking at this online, you will find this picture because I looked for an Israelite army. This picture came up. This isn't the Israeli army of today. It's the Palestinian army. They, I, even had, I even took out their flag, not, not, to, not to offend anybody, but I may as well come clean, so I'm sorry. It isn't the right location, just the wrong people. Um, so sorry about that. The total number of the leading fathers or commanders who led the powerful warriors with 2,600. Under their command, there was a strong army of 307,500 men able to wage war as a very powerful force to help the king against the enemy. 300,000, does that sound like what you've heard otherwise in Israel? Well, yeah, actually it is. We had much bigger armies of 600,000, but then we, they lost some battles. And now this guy fields 300,000 a generation later, he's doing okay. But the thing about this is, it's not, it's not the size of the force, but two other things especially, three other things especially. First of all, God is behind him. That's the most important thing. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.